Cole Shack's Loot Podcast, Episode 14, The Devil's Platform. Hey, this is Forrest Burgess with Astonishing Legends, and you're listening to the Cole Shack's Loot Podcast. Check it. Double cross your own fairy godmother for a story. Alrighty. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Cole Shack's Loop Podcast. You may have just heard me scratching my beard. Reminds me of an old commercial that was done on television where a guy would take a credit card and scratch it across his face so you could tell how well he shaved. Bradley, that's going to be impossible with your beard to be able to do that type of thing. <laughs> but how are you doing, sir, and what's what's new in your life? Wow. Uh, you actually heard that bumper at the beginning, or I'm sure you heard it when we recorded it, uh, but everybody else heard it. Uh, that's Forrest Burgess from Astonishing Legends, and uh, I had the pleasure of going to Podcast Movement this year. Uh by a guy you may know, Daryl Darnell. Uh, we we did a lot of man, it's a lot of stuff to do at podcast move, and I could go over every day that we did stuff. Played a lot of video games. Surprisingly, uh, he gave me a course on editing for free because, and he bought me a lot of meals. He he definitely shared the the wealth of knowledge he had in that and in Zelda. I watched him finish the Legend of Zelda in one sitting. Uh, but I also got to meet up with Astonishing Legends guys. We we ate. Uh, we ate lunch. You know, it sounds like I'm a freeloader. They bought me lunch too, so uh, <laughs> we ended up going out with them for a few hours, and that was, had a good time. They had a meet up in Nashville, but yeah, we ended up going out in Nashville. They had a meet and greet, and that was real fun. Uh, and learned a lot to podcast move it. Now I'm here recording with you. Was that was that one of the first type of uh, professional conferences that you've ever been to? Uh, Something you, like that, where yeah. you had the conference, and then you guys had the meet and greets, and. All that kind of stuff. Yes, it was. I, but yeah, so I it was sort of it. I like going to Dragon Con and stuff. Like it was sort of reminiscent of that because there's stuff in different rooms to do, you know. Uh, but like this was more, I guess, educational instead of hey, meet these guys who were on Princess Bride, you know, however long ago and doing a panel. But it was like actually stuff like I was like trying to take notes on and uh, learn about. Yeah, when I went to some of the Science Center conferences and the Lung Association conferences, I mean, I'm generally a pretty shy person if I don't, just don't know anybody in a room. But um, I was able to observe my supervisors at the time that I went to these things with who had been to many of these conferences, and they used those time as the, for meet and greets to actually do a little wheeling and dealing. And it was their opportunity to 
talk about the next grant they wanted to partner with and somebody. And, and I could see those types of things happening at a conference where everybody's learning about podcasting and, and being professional editors and that kind of stuff. So I think it's awesome that you're able to do that. And that's a bucket list item for me one of these days, if I can ever have the time to do it. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm thrilled to uh, yet again be talking about Kolshak and uh, or as I continue to hear more people say Kolchak and I have to get used to uh, the <laughs> fact that people are saying it that way. And it's not wrong, according to our source, uh, James Rice, Jeff Rice's son. And so that's still kind of cool. But this um, uh, Devil's Platform, oddly enough, is one where I have like a special bond to it only because the the main actor the main bad guy um scarrett tom scarrett his last name sounds a lot like my middle name my middle name is sterrett s-t-e-r-r-e-t-t and his is scarrett and honestly if you look back far enough um you'll probably see that those names are come from the exact same source uh typically and it depends on who you want to be if you want to say it's scottish you want to say it's danish but anyway, this has been one that I've always sort of enjoyed just because of that actor that was in it. But um, were you initially, were you just blown away by this, Bradley? Was it a ho-hum? What was what was your initial feeling when you watched this one? So it got off to a slow start, and I'm like, you know, I don't know what I'm going to think about this episode. And then I'm not going to give it away, but I will say that the ending definitely changed my opinion on the whole episode. And we'll get into that later. Mm-hmm. Dig it, dig it. Okay, well, speaking of getting into things and uh, now all of a sudden trying to uh, take on your role as the Segway Master, oh. um, <laughs> what else do we want to get into next? Well, we could, uh, I don't think we've got any news, so I think next we would get into the TV Guide segment of the week. R- rock and roll. This week, TV Guide's cover story profiles Jimmy Walker of Good Times. Good reading. TV Guide. All right. So there we go. TV Guide segment of the week. And this, of course, would be the week of November. Oh, if I can click on it. November 15th, 1974. On CBS, you have Planet of the Apes, The Interrogation. And at 9 o'clock, you have the movie The Stalking Moon from 1968. On ABC, at 8 o'clock, you have Kung Fu, Besieged Part 1, Death on Cold Mountain. At 9 o'clock, The Six Million Dollar Man. The Midas Touch. And at 10, we have our beloved Cole Shack Night Stalker, The Devil's Platform. And on NBC at 8, The Sanford and Son, Julio and Sister and Nephew, Chico and the Man, No Room in the Garage. At, t- at 9, you have The Rockford Files, The Dexter Crisis. And at 10 o'clock, you have the Dean Martin Celebrity Roast of Telly Savalas. Which, okay, now here's a situation where I may not be tuning into Cole Shack because I love a good Dean Martin Celebrity Roast. Love it. Yeah, the... Um Guy that would usually play the, the drunk. That was his act. Um, what was yeah, his yeah. name? Was it Forrest something? Gosh, I, I can't remember. I, I don't remember either. I'm going to have to look that up. But the, usually, well, Dean typically was fully drunk <laughs> at these things. But then there was a, a person, I think he was actually from uh, my hometown, Louisville, Kentucky here. And because uh, I'm pretty Foster Brooks, that's his name, Foster oh. Brooks, because he had a golf tournament and he'd raise all kinds of money for kids and really a, a great humanitarian. But he would always play that and uh, that role and get up there and act drunk and make fun of everybody. So, yeah, those those Dean Martin roasts are pretty cool. 
And, um, but you know, I still keep thinking about how shocked I was when I watched the $6 million man pilot and how much I loved it. And it was based on, you know, some really good science fiction, but then the TV series, when I watched it, not so thrilled with, um, I Mm. think I just, as a kid, you know, got into it and would watch it. But, you know, for an adult watching it more, it's just kind of not not as good. So sorry if I'm trampling on the uh, the grave of Steve Austin there uh, <laughs> with the Six Million Dollar Man stuff. But now, did you even know that? Did you know the Six Million Dollar Man was called Steve Austin like the wrestler? No, I, I did not. Yeah. So that's so it was, it was funny to me when the wrestler came out and said he was Steve Austin. And I don't know if that's even that um, wrestler's real name in real life. It could be. Uh, I don't know for sure, but that to me was, it was kind of a, a macho thing for a wrestler to call himself the $6 million man, I guess. But anyway, he, did he ever do any of that in his uh, performances that you ever saw? You being the wrestler uh, guy that you are. So his real name was Steve Williams, uh, but there was actually already a re- wrestler mm-hmm. named Dr. Death, Steve Williams. So he had to change his n- real name and go by Steve Austin, uh, which he did sort of have like this, he would have like the bionic, like they called him the bionic rattlesnake sometimes. But I think he Did had he? knee. Yeah, yeah. He had like problems with his knees, and he would have like he'd wear like double knee braces a lot. Uh, but I think that was it. wasn't re- that was the extent of it really. That's it's it's pretty related though. I I get that. Yeah, there's another weird wrestling connection to the Go six on, million dollar man. And I didn't know until, so, you know, I collect action figures. They came out with, like, a line of, like, WWE wrestling-related action figures from movies, and they had, like, They Live Roddy Piper, uh, The Scorpion King, they had The Rock also from The Fast and Furious, John Cena from The Fast and Furious. They had all these figures that were sort of like, oh, okay. And then there was one oddball, Andre the Giant as Bigfoot from a later $6 Million Man episode that I'd never even seen before. Had you ever seen the episode with Andre the Giant as Bigfoot? No, no, I want, I, I will want to see that. That would be great. I, I love that documentary on Andre the Giant, and uh, of course he's he's got some of the best lines in Princess Bride. Oh But yeah. uh, no, I haven't seen that. That would be really cool to see. Yeah, yeah, it's so it's so weird. Um, and I'd never seen it before, and I, I thought, oh man, you know, I know a lot about Andre the Giant and stuff, and just never never even knew it. Well, sounds good. Do you uh, want to cruise on into the, the next thing? Yeah, let's do it. The old cliche that politics makes strange bedfellows is only too true. At one time or another, various and sundry politicians have found themselves, when it proved expedient, of course, sharing a blanket with the military, organized crime, disgruntled gun-toting dairy farmers, the church, famous athletes, the comedians. The list is endless. Kolshak runs head-on into the world of politics in this episode. And in true Kolshak fashion, this run-in clashes with muckety-muck civil servants who only want to serve themselves by any means necessary. And by those means, a senatorial candidate has made a deal with the devil that his campaign platform is to kill off all of his competition. And anyone else who gets in those in his way. In fact... To get his way, the devil has made the senator capable of working a type of evil magic when he takes on the form of a large black dog. Kolchak is on to him, though, because he sees the senator and the dog wear the same pentagram necklace. The senator offers Carl a deal to join him and the devil, but Carl declines 
and wins the day once again to tell us a story he'll never print and no one else would ever believe anyway. Yeah, you you know what what your what your summary reminded me of? I know what. Yeah, the the name of the song is Black Dog. Of course, of course, beautiful, beautiful. What about the what about the not not so well received movie that Patrick Swayze did before he passed away uh, called Black Dog? Ooh, did you ever see that? I didn't see that. Was it that bad? Was it bad? I believe it was pretty bad. I I think I rented it. You know, back in the days you actually rented things and didn't stream. <laughs> And I maybe watched the first 10 minutes of it. That was about it. But uh, it, I think it, you know, Patrick Swayze had some really great movies. This was not one of them. We'll, we'll just leave it at that. Well, you know, speaking of things that are bad, uh, me butchering names during our cast and crew segment of the week. This facade is going to be, and that's where the zombie's going to be. And that's where I'm going to be. Wait for me! No! You like that little, uh, that little, that little segue? It was good. It was good. We're, yeah, everybody, if you, um, I'm sure this will all come out sounding fantastic, fantastic in the end, but, uh, we've got some delays on our connection this time and we've gone back and forth a couple times and hasn't necessarily gotten that much better, but, um, I'll be laughing sometimes and, and not when, when it seems like I should, <laughs> but, but anyway, um, I'm still, I think I'm still just trying to get over the black dog thing. I love that. <laughs> um, uh, but with, uh, so how, how would you like to proceed, Bradley? What part of the list would you like to d- discuss first? Uh, I can give the name and the air date and you can jump into the first bit of the cast and I can uh, finish up the rest. And the, uh, of course the name of this episode is the devil's platform air date, November 15th, 1974. And won't you give us the uh, the all star cast, and I'll hit us with the rest. I will do that. And now I'm remembering why I was giggling so much, because for those of you who have ever used Zoom, you will find out that if there is a delay in it, Zoom wants to speed up whatever is said afterwards to try to catch you back up. And Bradley's a pretty fast talker to begin with, but what I hear afterwards when there's a delay is him. He turns into like a an auctioneer who is selling off, you know, um, let's say collectible items that are in his uh, shelves behind me, behind him. Anyway, um, it, this is not his fault. It's just Zoom does that. On to the cast: Darren McGavin as Carl Kolshak, Simon Oakland as Tony Vincenzo. Tom Skerritt, wonderful last name, as Robert W. Palmer. Julie Gregg as Susan Driscoll. Ellen Weston as Lorraine Palmer. Jack Greenwich as Ron Updike. Ruth McDevitt as Emily Cowles. John Myers as Senator James Talbot. And Gene Cooper as Dr. Klein. And for the rest of the cast and crew, you have William Mims as Officer Hale. Robert DeCroix as as a park policeman. Dick Patterson as Stephen Wald, Stanley Adams as a bartender, Bill Welsh as a TV announcer, Al Bodine as a reporter, and John Dennis as second maintenance engineer. And this was, of course, directed by Al Barron, produced by Cy Shermick, written by Don Mullaly. 
Kolchak is a character based on, of course, the novels written by Jeff Ross and the other works by cast and crew. Uh, you have Tom Skerritt was in Alfred Hitchcock Hour, My Favorite Martian, The Time Tunnel, The Outsider, Up in Smoke. What you looking at, man? Oh, nothing. I wasn't looking. I was just, I wasn't looking at his neck, man. Your friend better stay here because we're going to go over see some people of mine and they don't like strange dudes. They don't f*** around. Well, I'll stay here. Alien, the original Dead Zone, Top Gun, the 80s Twilight Zone reboot, Poltergeist 3, Mammoth, the Dead Zone series, in 2008's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Julie Gregg was in the Batman movie and series, The Godfather and The Godfather Part 2. Alan Weston was in Night Gallery Bewitched and Miracle on 34th Street. John Myers was in 2000 Years Later, History of the World Part 1 in, 19, in the 1980s Twilight Zone reboot. Gene Cooper was in Playhouse 90, Mike Hammer. She was Liz in the Season 1 Twilight Zone episode, Mr. Denton on Doomsday. Come on, Denton. How dry I am. How dry I am. Charlie, can't you break that up? Nobody knows. I don't like it any more than you do. She was also in The Outsider and The Tomorrow Man. William Mims was in Mike Hammer, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. He was Dave in the Season 4 of Twilight Zone episode, The New Exhibit. Captain America 2. And no, not the good Captain America 2. I want you to remember something when you get out of jail, pal. The old people around here are my friends. And if I ever hear they have problems again, I'm coming after you. You got that? Okay. Okay. And he was also a voice actor in the 1970s Spider-Man cartoon. Robert DeQuin. And I'm sorry if I mispronounced that name. Uh, he was in The Outer Limits, Walking Tall Part 2. Tales of the Unexpected, RoboCop 1, 2, and 3, and he was a voice actor in the Harlem Globetrotters, the new Scooby-Doo movies, and the Batman the Animated Series. Dick Patterson was in My Favorite Martian, Grease 1 and 2, and Columbo. Stanley Adams was in The Atomic Kid, the Rod Serling Playhouse 90 episode, Requiem for a Heavyweight, and the subsequent movie, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Jensen in the season, he was Jensen in the season 3 Twilight Zone episode, Once Upon a Time, and Rolo in the Season 5 episode, Mr. Garrity and the Graves. He was also in The Addams Family, Star Trek, the, the original series, and the animated series, Lost in Space, The Outsider, The Ghost, and Mrs. Murr. And the Night Stalker movie. Bill Welsh was in, was in The Day That Earth Stood Still, The Rose Bowl Story, The Atomic Kids Science Fiction Theater and Hollywood Horror House, and John Dennis was in Conquest of Space, Science Fiction Theater, Mike Hammer, Frankenstein 1970. The one, the only, King of Monsters brings you the demon of the atomic age. Boris Karloff as Frankenstein 1970, carrying on the hideous experiments of his infamous ancestor. Alfred Hitchcock presents Garden of the Dead, Blackenstein, Young Frankenstein, Psychic Killer, End of the World, starring which uh, starred Christopher Lee, and Love at First Bite. Um, so those are your horror-related and all your other stuff uh, for the other works. And you got any comments on those, Robert? No, I, I was just going to say, I mean, it it is an amazing wealth of information. And, I mean, I could see you doing, I mean, I don't know, I, I keep... Um, uh, hearkening back to YouTube and our conversations when I think about us um, using a different platform 
um, an additional platform, not a different platform, but an additional platform. And, um, but it, man, it would be a monumental amount of work to, but then to have like a clip of, or a picture from each one of these references. I mean, oh, and that, yeah. that would be an amazingly rich, you know, an amazingly rich kind of experience. I think, you know, you know, almost to the point where it would almost have like documentary status. Uh, I mean, all that as a compliment. I mean, there's just so much stuff. And it's so so rich in everything that there is. Um, I think it'd be really neat to to do that. Um, I am not willing to do that much work. <laughs> that, <laughs> that would that would kill me to do all of that. Um, but I think that's pretty pretty cool because as you were mentioning all those, I'm just trying to get pictures in my head of of the few of those that I do know and the references that are in there. But thank you for doing that. That's really cool stuff. Yeah, I think it's cool how like Tom Skerritt's in like the de- the de- original Dead Zone movie and the uh, the Dead Zone series later on, you know, I thought that was, and just, just, there's weird stuff like that you'll see. Yeah. And I, I'm going to have to go back and watch, um, the, the Dead Zone series. Cause I thought that was really good too. I loved Anthony Michael Hall when he was a kid actor. I oh, really yeah. thought he was great in the Dead Zone TV series. And I know that had a few different type of, um, I don't know. I, I, I watched, I think the first, the first season very closely, and then when it went on to other seasons, I didn't see it as much. But um, yeah, Tom Skerritt—he's so such a good um, role there as the police chief. And that scene with his—you um, uh, know—no uh, no spoiler, so I won't 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 spoil everything. If you haven't seen it, see the original Dead Zone movie and see the also uh, Dead Zone series. Fantastic stuff, really good. Okay, well let's. What do you say we do a little? discussion about our episode yeah uh speaking of spoilers uh we're about to spoil this entire episode of cold shack so let's get into the episode discussion it's a contagious psychosis oh gee that's my theory and i've checked it out with a few psychiatrists there's a definite pattern to the killings they seem to come in bunches Hookers? mostly some semi-pros there was an italian who specialized in flower girls Yeah, so uh, right off the right off the bat, what a we start with a bang or a a crash per se, uh, and and the over of course the the special effects the special effects budget you know on, on very budgeted here as the you can see the very clear explosion like overlaid on the on the uh, frames, uh, and and I just thought that was it was pretty a pretty good crash though I mean I thought it was a pretty good scene for what they what they had. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't that bad. I mean, you know, you you just accepted that stuff back in those days, um, when when you would see that, that type of special uh, effect. So yeah, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, but and we also hear uh, we see Cole Shack running to catch an elevator. Seems like he's always late for something. Uh, and it looks like that the politician has already been making dirty deals. We already get a little bit of feel for his character. Um, <laughs> Uh, I thought the the uh, quote "I was a young man when I started waiting on the elevator" was a good one, and this reminded me a lot of the Tower of Terror, terror from uh, from the Twilight Zone as it crashes down and we see the politician come out, uh, or we see a dog come out per se with a sign with that with that uh, the the pentagram around his neck. Yeah, the 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 necklace the the dog was wearing, and of course Carl is there to uh you know get his his pictures 
And, um, you know, speaking of that camera, someone corrected me the other day and let me know that when I had said it was an Instamatic camera, that um, it wasn't actually an Instamatic. The one that Carl uses, it was something else. And, and I checked through... A Raleigh 16S. Yeah, I checked through my photographs that I had of my dad's camera that was very similar to it. Turns out his was an Instamatic. So that's why I'd had that on my head. I mean, mm-hmm. in, in my head for that. And then I was trying to find those pictures and then share those. And like an idiot some way, I deleted them. I think they were already in my deleted file because I know that the, the, the cameras are still at my mom's. But uh, anyway, yeah, I wanted to backtrack just, just half a second in, in Carl's um, narration uh, in the beginning, you know, which, which we've got bits and pieces of in, in our um, uh, episode summary uh, introduction. You know, he says that, um, you know, politics make strange bedfellows. And in this particular case, it was the strangest of all and deadly. And then he lays out, you know, all those deaths that have been occurring to these these people who are part of um, some some sort of connection to the senator who's running for that office. And that that's why he's running to that elevator is so that he can try to catch that um, interview that he's supposed to do with that senator. And then, of course, is right there on the scene as it goes down. And then and I guess he follows the dog for quite a while. Right, Bradley? Does he, and doesn't he just lose the dog? Um, the dog disappears or something like that? See, and I, the way I saw it, I thought the dog was following him. Oh, really? Yeah, because we see Kolshak in the bar, and the dog comes to the window of the bar, and he's like sitting like right beside the glass entranceway, um, just watching him. I think I think that's it, the sequence doesn't necessarily matter. Um, and and I like that you felt like the dog was actually following him. Because the more and more I'm getting back to it, I think that's the case. I just felt felt like Carl was being the one who was following the dog. But no, I, I think you you have set it up straight for me that it was actually the dog then following him and seeing him in the bar. Yeah, but of course, but of course, you know, you you gotta. He, he tells Kolchak to take off his hat and catch the game, and he says, "You know, I never drink in uniform," which that's a that's a sad excuse for a uniform, if anything. But uh. He also uses the 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 bar phone, you know, Colshack being Colshack, saving a diamond. New, you know, he'll save a diamond and a nickel to, to on phone calls, but he'll give like two hundred dollars for like get Gordy the ghoul. He'll go slip him two hundred. Hey, Louis, take off your hat and catch the game. No, no thanks. But there is one thing I would like: the name of a good tailor. No, a drink. You know, I never drink when I'm in uniform. Could I use your telephone? There's a payphone in the men's room. Since when do I have to wash my hands before I use a telephone? Now, tell me, have I ever taken advantage of our friendship? Not yet. Well, I'm about to. Yeah, the, the, the amount that he gives in some of those things, that is ridiculous. Um, now, the I, I know nothing about this, so and I don't need anybody to tell me, nor do I want to know what it would cost to have a hooker in you know 1970s in in Vegas or wherever Carl was in in that uh, the vampire episode, but you know he was paying like 200 bucks for that or something or more, and uh, yeah, but no, oh, you're, yeah, you're right. Yeah. That's um he is he is cheap when it counts for him, and and for some reason he'll pay a ton for other information. And uh, then we finally we get uh, the INS him heading back, and he's uh, you know 
we'll get to that later, but the, the developing room, like the developing room scenes, especially later on, that one seems to last forever. Uh, but I, I really like that. That's sort of like a spy music. It reminds me sort of like a James Bond score uh, as he's in the developing room and he sees the outline of the dog, uh, which is, looked creepy there uh, to me. Uh, and he seems to think something fouls afoot. Uh, but Tony think, you know, Tony don't think otherwise. He gives the whole thing. Kolsak's like, oh, you know, this and this. And, and uh, you know, Tony's like, oh, the, you know, the authorities handle this. And and then, uh, you know, there's nothing foul, you know. And I think Kolsak says something along the lines of, the Titanic was full of authorities. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, well, and I, I think Carl was, was giving pretty compelling information to say that all these people, I mean, oh, yeah. y- you and I right now, if we would hear about somebody's political opponent all of a sudden dying, you know, on a speedboat or dying in a car crash or whatever, we would almost immediately think that there was something foul afoot, right? Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So Tony is is uh, regretfully showing he's he just is kind of a pushover really when it comes to all that. All he really wants to do is get out of story. And not have Carl chase down yet again another, you know, whatever theory that he has. He just wants a story and get it done and and, and fill my paper up with stuff that I need to get out, I think. Yeah, and Kolshak did just that. As he, put, he says he put the elevator story over the wire. And Tony asked what political party he pointed the finger at so we don't know who's, who's going to sue them. And he, he's just mad. Apparently this is an ongoing thing with Carl is uh, upsetting political parties. Then the next scene we get is Kolshak welcoming Miss Emily during her dressing down of Tony. She is on Tony. Uh, yeah, you know, and, and the, of course the funniest thing is um, I don't remember uh, anybody going after, you know, uh, a vegetable pasta to give to somebody that was, that was more heart healthy and, uh, and d- dating back <laughs> all the way to the 70s like that. But, um, I mean, we, we have actually a ton of vegetable pasta in my house that my wife likes to eat and, and gets me to eat. In some cases, they're, they're not that bad. But other ones, are like, oh, I'm not too thrilled with it. But, um, yeah, but that really surprised me that there was that. Now, I, I remember my dad, who had some heart issues, um, being told that he should eat more pasta. And, and that was actually the advice. Well, my dad then decided he would eat pasta, but he would have tons of fettuccine Alfredo, which then he would just layered <laughs> in with the cheese. And, uh, and the whole time he's like, yeah, I'm getting healthier. I'm eating this stuff. And of course then, you know, we find out his cholesterol just continues to skyrocket. But anyway, but then really what, what the, the, the real catcher on there is what does Miss Emily give to, uh, Carl? Oh man. Comedy gold segment of the week is Carl sitting there with that big goofy looking hat. My gosh, I, I I had to pause it there. I was laughing so hard at him just sort of kick back, you know, with it on. Oh man, chef's kiss to that. What, Carl? Now you can get rid of that bird feeder you've been wearing. Why, well, uh, it, uh, go ahead, try it on. Uh. <laughs> Do you like it? Oh, yes, it's, it's, it's marvelous. Yeah, he really looked like he could have been some sort of uh, fancy cowboy, uh, the way that hat looked, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, 
And then I thought it was funny. Tony said that he almost joined the priesthood. Yeah, I thought that. To which Carl retorts that even <laughs> that that's when the Spanish Inquisition happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then once they they ended the Spanish Inquisition, then that took all the fun out of it for Tony. Some something like that, I believe, yeah. was the yeah. the comment about that. That was a good one. And then Carl gets up and he's still got his little apron on, you know. And I, that's something else I noticed. He's taking his apron off and he still had his tie tucked into the front of his pants. Uh, and he almost walked out like it. And I think he ended up fixing it right before he left. Uh, but Kolshak goes to show Tony the picture of the dog, which he discovers the dog is gone. And then he he find, then Tony's like, well, let me just get you. He's he's sort of like a kid. You he's, he's sort of like, well, if you know you're getting too far off in the weeds over here, so I'm gonna call you. I'm gonna make you go do something. So I'm gonna make you go interview Palmer. And he shoes him out the door. Oh, and then and then he was all then uh, you know Carl was such a considerate person. He's he's about to leave and he's about to put on his regular hat, but just to appease Miss Emily, he takes his regular hat, hides it, and puts on the ugly hat and. And uh, exits and uh, man, what what a gentleman. Mm-hmm. Well then, and yeah, but then you know what he does right after. He um, hides. So maybe maybe I missed this. You said this, but he hides that one, and then he goes into some room, and then he ends up changing out. And I think he leaves the yes. new hat in the room. Yeah, I'm 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 rewatching this as we're he. He goes left, he does that, and then he, he sort of sneaks. He don't even, like, duck down. He just goes right. I just waits a second. Um, but but then you have, like, the mansion scene. What did you think about that? Like, him meeting uh, his wife for the first time. What did you think of her attitude? Oh, she, she clearly is, um, you know, in support of her husband, has no time whatsoever for Carl. And, you know, what I kept thinking was is that – now, is – this isn't the time when Carl has already gotten the, the did he already pull the the um, pentagram from the dog? He hadn't done that yet, had he? Yes, I actually I think he, he uh, I think it's when is when he because he the, like the dog went after him right and then he just sort of yanked the the pentagram and then I think that's why the dog was following him. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You're right. And then it was so it was it was my impression then that maybe the um, Tom Skerritt's character couldn't change back into his um, human self because Carl took the pentagram. But then I didn't notice whatever happened then for the pentagram to be. Oh, I think guess maybe did the dog. Yeah, so he goes to he goes to the mansion, and then after he speaks to the wife, isn't that when the dog? Yeah, yeah. As he's walking away, he even tears the I think he tears his shirt pocket and gets um, it out. Kind of attacks him. Yeah, and then gets the necklace um, back. Exactly. Or his jacket pocket. Right. Uh, but yeah, you know, Robert, you were a genius, man. I didn't think about that. He couldn't change back until he had the necklace back. I had I, that never crossed my mind for whatever reason. That is genius. I would have. Man, the great riding here. I might, I might, that may have bumped it up for me. Okay. Yeah. No, I think that's absolutely what happened. At least that's my impression of it. And, um, but that, that I think is, is important then when it goes to the ending, which we're not going to skip ahead to. But, you know, there's the ending that it all has to do with the dog and, and the, the talisman also, or whatever you want to call it, the necklace. Yeah. Or even next, or even in the same scene where after that neck, the dog attacks him. He Palmer is on his front porch then. You know, the dog runs away, and then Kolshak sees Palmer on his front porch as a regular human. 
So, man, that, that makes so much sense now. Right. That's wow. right. Man. Um, anyway, so Carl goes back to, Carl goes back to INS, uh, tells Tony the bad news. Palmer said he was too depressed to get interviewed and Tony is insistent on the interview. Uh, Carl's and Carl's all, man, I need to get my jacket fixed. Can we need to get this, this fixed? Uh, <laughs> and then I think Tony says something along the lines of it will heal on its own time. And he even, he even goes into him like, why do you care how you dress? <laughs> Uh, you, Miss Emily got you a nice hat and you refused to wear it. Uh, and then he said, do you wear that bird feeder in, instead? And Cole Shack gets so offended. Like, Hey, what, what do you have against my hat? And, and then the great quip, man, Simon Oakland, Simon, chef's kiss, Simon Oakland. Um, <laughs> when he says, uh, my, what, what I don't like is what's under the hat. And just Tony's or Carl's left there. Exactly. Dumbfounded. And then so uh, then we get the hospital scene, and this was I thought was a, a superb. Now tell, now tell me if this is if I'm right at this. You're the medical guy on the podcast, uh, which I I just know very. I have an associate's degree in medicine in sports medicine, which I don't think qualifies me for anything. <laughs> but um, Susan tells like Robert, which Robert Palmer. What about that name? I thought that was funny. Simply irresistible, baby. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was funny, that, the name Robert Palmer, because I kept hearing, because it took me, I think this is about the time I noticed it, too, was like I heard Mr. Palmer, the, and then, then I heard Robert Palmer, I was like, Robert Palmer, I know that name, and I know the music. I just know he was the the guy who sang the, um, you know, uh, doctor, doctor, give me the news, I got a bad case of loving you, that was one of his first big hits. And then he yeah. actually is in. People have been playing the YouTube um, uh, version of the the two the first two hours of MTV, and he is in one yeah. of the videos that was played in the first two hours, and it's the one where he uses the micro the microphone the magnifying glass in front of his face, and then he has that really weird looking close up of his mouth uh, that they show. And, um, but yeah, then eventually the, uh, the simply irresistible, believe it or not, I got backstage passes to go see him, um, when he played in Indianapolis, um, just for a little, little side, side really? note there. And we, yeah, and we, we, uh, a buddy of ours, um, was dating somebody who was in, um, music and she was able to get us all tickets to, to see. It was actually a John Mellencamp concert, but Robert Palmer was the warm up act. So we saw Palmer first, and then we saw Mellencamp. And uh, but for for some stupid reason, we decided we would all use fake names on our um, name tags when we were in backstage with the Robert Palmer thing. And uh, we decided we would all be versions of people from Muscle and Fitness because I guess we're all a bunch of meatheads that were in there. So anyway, good times. Um, I think. I think actually, Bradley, if we think of this this hospital scene that we've got next to kind of talk about, you you actually wrote it as Lincoln Park, then the hospital and and those things, and so that woman who ends up um, uh, there, you know, could that possibly be the stupidest thing anybody's ever done to try to extort or bribe money, you know, from the uh, the guy who she suspects is killing everybody? Yeah, yeah, that I don't, I don't know what her logic is. I know what you've done. I guess she thinks her she's in the open uh, in Lincoln Park because this is where like there's a short little scene there before yeah. they get to the hospital scene. But but she's like under like near the bridge. Like I guess she's like, oh, I'm safe. I'm out in the open. But no, not at all. You know. 
uh, th- he just changes the dog just like that and goes after. Uh, but yeah, that was, and you know, something right. else, my wife was attacked by a dog, like pretty seriously too. Uh, like she had to hold pressure on her leg cause it was bleeding so Ooh. bad. And, uh, so it, it this is like, mm. I don't know. It's just like an added little thing to it. I don't know. When, when did that happen? Oh, this is, this is before we got together. It was like years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had her, mm-hmm. she hurt another dog and attacked her dog and got her too. And I think it bit mm. one of the main arteries of her leg. Oh yeah, man, that's horrible. So, Sorry she had to go through that, but yeah. that, so I will uh, jump, jump around a little bit here in this whole idea of this black dog and being this force of evil. And, um, that reminds me a lot of the, the first Omen movie that Gregory Peck was in when it's just the child and he discovers the 666 on the, the child's yeah. scalp. But there are these, these dogs then I think they're Rottweilers who do a lot of evil bidding, um, for the devil because the, the child can't necessarily do it himself. But then, you know, there are people that the dogs attack and I just remember that as a kid seeing that. And honestly, I had dogs when I was younger, but man, dogs used to scare the, the bejesus out of me. Let's, let's put it that way. And, and, and partly that was because also I had a dog almost attack me. And luckily their owner got to that dog just enough time to pull him off of me. And, wow. uh, and that's only when I was like five years old. So it was something definitely that I'd, I'd felt. And, and now, of course, I just walk my dog for the rest of my life and suffer. But anyway. <laughs> who was it who, who was forced to push the, the stone up the, up the mountain and have it roll down the other side and do it for eternity? I, b- I believe it was Sisyphus. Sisyphus. Yeah. Is, is mm-hmm. that sort of what it is? I believe is that so. you were pushing, pushing the rock? Maybe. But um, going back to the scene here, the cops put six bullets in the dog uh, but he, but the dog gets away unharmed, and of course Kolchak races to the hospital when he hears everything and the officers, and you know something going to the hospital saying. So this is what I'm going to talk about. So is and, and tell me if I'm right on this medically speaking. But he he basically I mean they used to use the glass they used to use the glass bottles I guess, and he turns it upside down to get bubbles in her IV. And if you ever get bubbles in your veins, it's done. Is that what happened there? Is that what he's doing? Right. I don't remember. I, I don't remember specifically what what happened in that scene. And I even went, even went back a couple of times to sort of see it. And I, for whatever reason, I kept landing on his um, discussion with the doctor and that sort of interchange that he had with the doctor, not so much how the woman died. So I hate to I hate to admit it, I kind of just missed that part. And I kept trying to go back to it and just dialing through on my phone to see it. And I just couldn't scroll through to, to see it enough. So I hate to say, I, I kind of missed that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Um, which, that is such a cool detail. Um, cool, that's very morbid to say. But that's such a good detail for, you know, somebody who, hey, how do we kill this person in the hospital? Whoever's in the rotting room here, uh, the rotters we mentioned earlier, that, I mean, good on them for, like, being like, you know, you know, air, air, air in your uh, veins can definitely kill you. Uh but I mean that's going on them for, for getting that right. But you know, talk. You want to talk talk a little bit about that scene, the doctor scene, or when she's talking to the nurse. Well, I think it's just um, it's it reminded me of the werewolf episode, in the interplay that he had with the ship's captain, where you know, she's like, I don't have the time to explain this to you if you're not you know a physician, 
and and then he turns it back on her and says, "Oh, I don't have the time to explain this to you if you're not a reporter." And and you know and tells her and it kind of puts her in her place. So um, I enjoyed you know that that little interchange that they had there that that exchange I should say. Yeah, and some just a couple of good lines from that that I liked. Uh, Colshack uh, saying you called remind me of the lurch saying you rang. I don't know if that was a reference to that. Um, but also, uh, she quotes Sly and the Family Stones, uh, different strokes for different folks. You know, she said, how's the song go, different strokes? So I thought that was sort of funny. And it sort of reminded me also of like, you know, like the, the older, you know, like your mom or something trying to be hip. What's that music you kids listen to nowadays? You know, trying to quote it. I, I just rewatched that scene. I was able to scroll to it finally. And the scene where the bubbles, that is a ton of bubbles <laughs> that that guy um, yes. make, turns by having that. I mean, that is an extreme amount. Yes, that would absolutely kill somebody, um, I think, by messing with getting all that air into their bloodstream. That would be a bad thing. Right before we get to the, the next scene at INS, she says, uh, well, she asks him when his last checkup was. And, so, and it's sort of like in a threatening way. I took it as sort of threatening. Yeah, I, I did, too. I did, too. But moving on to INS here, uh, we see Kolshak coming through a dog, th- uh, thumbing through the dog book whenever Ron, you know, comes meandering over doing Ron things. Uh, and he talks about, oh, is that the Kolshak family album you're looking through? Uh, but, but like, it, it's like Carl's so, this is almost like Carl's so engaged in this. He like, he's not even really, uh, you know, I don't have time to, you know, match quips with you, Ron. I'm just going to, you know, still looking into this. Um, and, and then Tony even, you know, uh, I think they, they end up getting a discussion about, you know, f- wild dogs have five toes because I think that that's what, uh, Carl tells him. And, and then you have Tony coming out here like, what, what's going on up doc? What is this? A uh, parade zoo, zoo parade, which I think that was like a 50, 60 show, uh, where, where the, I think it was a fifties or sixties show where they would have sort of you know, animals and stuff. I looked it up because I was like, what is this? Because I looked at the, I had to pull up the closed captions. I'm like, I don't know what there's, what he's saying here. But yeah, it was a fifties and sixties show about like had animals and stuff, I guess for kids. Uh, I thought it good line. Doesn't, I guess we don't get it nowadays, but it's a, it was a good line. I mean, this one had five toes on it. I can't seem to find it anywhere in the book. No domesticated normal dog has five toes. Only wild dogs from Africa or Asia. And if you met one of those, you'd certainly know it. They're the most ferocious of wild animals. What is this, Uptight? Zoo parade? Don't you have an assignment you should be working on? Tony, wild dogs only have five toes. But this... Yeah, I heard, I heard. They have five toes. Maybe one of them can work the typewriter. Maybe one can even replace you and get more work done. Oh, that's funny. That's really very funny. I'm working. I'm working. Oh, are you? Weren't you supposed to be covering the incumbent Senator Talbot's question and answer session with the public? Nothing is going to happen there. Nothing. He's going to dish out the usual pablum just like all the rest of politicians. What? So back up a second. What did you think about the line about the five toes? I know that they said it was for wild dogs, but that made... It just flashed on me that maybe that was actually some sort of connection to the the human form that this dog had. So instead of four, it actually had to have five because that would be what a human would have, would be five toes. Or in the paw, they would have five fingers. Is that, that blowing your mind again? What? What? I Wow. <laughs> I hadn't... 
Wow. I didn't think of that. I didn't. I think that just bumped it up a little bit more. This is the comedian for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. <laughs> mm. Well, that's, that is, um, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. So I miss, I miss some scenes. Like I missed the, the one with the IV. I didn't really, honestly, I think I just saw it for the first time when I just replayed it here. But when it came to that thing, I was really fixated on this transfer of the, the dog to the man, man back to the dog. So I, I guess I keyed in on those types of uh, comments they had. And that still may or may not be what they were going for um, because, you know, they don't seem to really pursue that anymore in the episode about, you know, you know, I know you're the dog because you have five toes and the dog has five toes. And none of that happens um, that, that I can think of. Maybe Carl says that a little bit to Tony. I don't really remember for sure, though. No, I don't think he does. And see, I think that, so what this episode is doing well, and what some of the Kolshak episodes do well, um, is, is, the, is the fact that they'll give you this information, you know, just lightly throughout the episode. They'll give you information that, like, it it definitely helps you figure it out, but it's it's not like a Scooby Doo where they're like, oh, here's all the clues that we gathered along the way to figure out who it was. But it <laughs> sprinkles it in there, and if you if you do your due diligence and like pay attention and you see it, you're like, wow, it all really does make sense in the end, you know. And and it, I think that's what these rewatches are for, and I hope that people get these. I hope people experience this like we do and we're and are able, because this is the first time I've ever watched these, and, I'm, and I'll usually watch an episode two or three times, and I still miss that, you know? I hope people are getting the same experience as we are, mm-hmm. you know, rewatched them and, and sort of watch them with new eyes and seeing stuff like that, because it, it's so cool to when you do discover stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, since since I bought the, the whatever you want to call it, the streaming package of these episodes, I think I've rewatched them at least three times. Um, before we've even watched them now and but you know clearly i'm not paying that much attention to them as i'm doing them because a lot of times if i watch something too if it's the second run or the third run of it i'm just mostly listening to it um i'm hearing it almost like it's a play or an audio radio play and then i will occasionally go back and see what it is that i'm watching but um so and I and I I would imagine when I do these rewatches I'm probably doing the same thing again because well, I've seen it so many times but yeah it, it's sort of well I told you with that UFO episode that's <laughs> like wait a minute there's a spaceship at the end like where was I had no clue there was a spaceship at the end so you know I it, it I I think it all just speaks to the 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 degree of writing that was in this show that um, every second, although maybe may seem like it doesn't really have anything to do with the show, all fits into the larger um, episode. Whether it's establishing the relationship with Carl and um, Ron, you know, or it's establishing the relationship with Carl and Tony, you know, or with the police captains or whatever else it is, like every single bit has some sort of part to do with the, the story. And even though this is... Um, you know, stories that it's, you know, it's like Carl, you know, has a devil dog in this episode. And, the, and then the next one, he's going to have somebody else. And all of a sudden the devil dog doesn't exist anymore in his memory. It, the, they still progress, I think, with all these other elements. So anyway, moving right along. Yeah. Yeah. So we speaking of moving right along, something that would be hard to move in looked like them big, massive cameras with the transmitters on their back. <laughs> yeah. They had what in the world? 
I'm, I'm watching that scene right now. So, yeah, that that's kind of crazy. Well, those guys look like robots themselves <laughs> um, with those massive things on there. But I, I guess that was a real thing. Oh, 100% was, yeah. Um, you know, or they just couldn't afford real couldn't afford real cameras, so they just built one in their, their wood shop or metal shop or something like that. No, I think whenever they would do on-location stuff, they would have backpack cameras like that. But uh, most of the time you'd see them on, like, I remember watching them on, like, the Dick Cavett show. They've had them having the stand-up cameras with the on wheels and stuff, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, but I, I would assume that they, if they had to go on the road, they'd have to have some tran- transmitter backpacks right. or something. Cole Shack arrives late, uh, as as often is the case, and he sees, uh, sees the Palmer's opponent leaving. He can't warn him in time, and, of course... A bad fate awaits him as we see him driving on a dark road, just to be met, be met head on by a yellow car. And I do drive a yellow car, so I'm speaking for people who drive yellow cars. We're not all bad drivers, just most of us. But we see the crash, and of course, what, who do we see leave? Well, the dog, yeah. And, and, you know, what threw me a little bit with the whole yellow car thing was like, wait a minute, Carl drives a yellow car. What's what's going on there? Is, uh, the, is this Carl that caused this wreck? You know, real quick now, but I don't know if he's, is it yellow in this iteration or is it, is it baby blue? I can't remember what he drives. I guess he drives the baby blue one in, in this series, right? No, Carl does. Carl drives a, uh, he drives his yellow car here. That's right. That's right. But I think that the yellow car in this one was like a brighter yellow. Like his is, Carl's is like canary yellow and this one was like more, I don't know what shades of yellow are, some some brighter yellow. Don't worry about it. No, I, and I'm, I'm not trying to say that I th- I think it was Carl's. Just for a brief second there when I saw it, I was like, wait a minute. That's Carl's car? So, but no, I was I was convinced once the dog got out, <laughs> I was convinced. But yeah, it's sort of like The Shining, how uh, I think uh, Kubrick had purposely wrote a scene in there whenever Halloran's coming back to the, the uh, Overlook Hotel. He wrote a scene where there, the, I think there is a blue Volkswagen bug that had crashed and uh it had been like torn apart and stuff and that was the same model that was in the shining book and it was sort of kubrick's way to say hey this is my work now and i'm you know sort of dismantling whatever king did some people read it that way you know people can read stuff Hmm. anyway Um, all right but i don't know that that's a whole tangent to itself so we get our little commercial break we come back to the tow shop and uh, carl sees the car and and uh you know, there's. It's interesting too. Sometimes, like the ending scene of this, like the after the last commercial break, the entire scene takes place in the same location. But you know, you just have like this tow shop. There's like a few lines between him and the sky, and that's it. You know, you really don't see the location. So, like, I'm wondering if they just go scout out a place. Like, hey, we need a tow shop that looks like a tow shop. So, guys, can we just shoot in your parking lot for a few scenes? I wonder. Or I'm sure maybe they had a lot for it. I don't know. But that seems like a lot of trouble to have a set, you know, ready to go just for six lines of dialogue. Yeah, you know, and I don't even know how necessary all that was anyway. But I would imagine there if it's on a on a TV, you know, a movie production uh, set that they've probably got stages, sets, whatever you got it, where they've got cars and they can just um, shoot a scene pretty easily there. I would think they just probably did that all with within the the studio. Let's call it that way. It could have been on location. I don't know. Yeah, but basically the whole point of that scene was him to Carl to get the information. Nobody could have walked away from a scene like that. Lee Petty couldn't have walked away from a scene like that. Lee Arnold Petty was his name. That's the same guy, ain't it? The uh, 
car racer who competed during the 50s and 60s. He was one of the pioneers of NASCAR. That's directly from um, I, Yeah, yeah I, I I'm sorry, Richard Petty. Richard Petty's the one that I know. That's his, is that his son? I think I that's don't his know. son, right? It could be. You you would think that that's sort of a family business. Yeah, children. Children Richard Petty. So there we go. A cool little tidbit there. So we, we get uh, we get Carl coming to the INS building, and uh, and this is a funny scene right here where where him and uh, I think Emily are, are there. She's what is is she arguing about? I think she's arguing about the elevator being out. Is that what she was getting yeah, going on? Yeah, she's about? talking about Vincenzo being so cheap that he's never going to fix that elevator. Yeah, and ironically enough, like uh, so then Carl comes in. He's like, oh, you know, here's some materials. She's and he ends up getting some materials or something. And uh, they're like, oh, you got to pay Uncle Sam for that. And then he's like, oh, go get, go get Tony. And uh, add like 18 stamps on that. Did you what? What? Why would you need 18 stamps on that little envelope? Is there a purpose in that? I don't, I don't use stamps often, I no, so I, I have I, no I, idea. I, don't know. I just thought that was a an ungodly amount of stamps for mailing this across the city. Um, but anyway, right. So Carl sees something and uh, he heads back in the film lab, and I had no idea what he was doing. Um, you know, the the limited exposure I've ever seen of, like, film rooms and stuff, developing rooms, had been in movies and stuff. But this seems like a super long scene of him just, you know, sort of working to, to do it, going back over, working, working here, you know, looking. Like, he went back and forth, I think, four, four maybe five times until he got the blown-up image. And I was, but I sort of loved the dedication to, like, realism in a way. Because I was in the scene, like trying to figure mm-hmm. out what he's doing, and it it kept me in the scene. I, I really enjoyed. I, I really liked it, and I thought I would. You th- would think I would yeah. hate it by some of the stuff I say about stuff stretching out. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, my dad was a amateur photographer, and he did have an enlarger, and essentially had all the proper chemicals and all the the little. Um, uh, photo paper baths that you would use if you develop something. And I actually, at one point in my life, knew how to fully develop a roll of black and white film and use the enlarger and and do those types of things. So, um, but yeah, that's, yeah, so he would have to, that is kind of the coolest thing about when you develop something is under that, that light that you have, which is limited, but it's sort of like the red light that doesn't uh, develop your film, you will eventually see the exposure come through the paper. And that's really cool. If you've never had that kind of experience, that's that, that was a fun experience as a kid seeing that. It was really like, almost like magic um, or, or like a Polaroid um, that you would, you know, shake and then eventually yeah. you'd see the image come up. So this is more of a, you know, a true lab doing that. And yeah, so he was just trying to find the the right um, focus and then the right exposure and, and all that kind of stuff and the enlargement to, to show. And so that was really neat that they did it that way. I, I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah, I was going to talk about that. Just mention the Polaroids too. I think that I, I have seen the Polar had Polaroids. I still have a Polaroid camera. Me and my wife went on. I have a Stranger Things Polaroid camera. Me and my wife went on a Stranger Things voyage and took a bunch of pictures everywhere. Um, but move it on. Uh, oh, another line I just wanted to mention of Tony saying, uh, "I don't mind politi- political exposés, but why does ours have to have a dog in it?" Uh, gosh, Simon Simon Oakland and his line and his delivery, perfect. Um, 
So, of course, he sees the necklace. That's what he was wanting to think he saw the whole time, and I think he has him a plan going. Um, so he, And he's in, intently focused on Ron, uh, who's, you know, Carl is focused on him as he's sort of helping Miss Emily up with a mound of books because Carl's wanting to dig into that, that stack pretty quick and just start going to town on it. And it seems like Carl... There's always like some every few episodes you see this thing where he like has to just stay up an ungodly amount of time uh, just to I know what the what was the the arcade the episode at the arcade he did and this episode he did and it seemed like what was the other one was it the vampire he did? No. I don't remember um, oh yeah because they were searching for through all those records for right. like twelve or thirteen right. hours or whatever. Yeah, no, I think it just it speaks to the fact that he his character is someone who really does do the research to find out what he needs to find out. And and although it's it's monsters and myth and whatever else it is, you know, you you don't just jump to the scene where all of a sudden you see these things. The show takes the time to show to display that that your your hero is is a smart guy who really checks his sources just like a good reporter should although he stretches the truth and breaks rules and all that kind of stuff sometimes um but yeah he he does the work to find those things so i think that's awesome and miss emily of course is giving tony the business and carl's trying to butt in you know and he's trying to give his thing she's really getting on him about the elevator and uh tony stops at one point checks his pulse and he's like you know hey what what is what is the regular average pulse supposed to be and he sort of walks away before uh, Colchette can even t- say anything. So Carl's just going off on an only adventure, I guess, without consulting Tony, uh, which he rarely ever does. But ag- again, here we go, him heading out. I've got it! Oh, please, Mr. Nintendo. Something has simply got to be done about that elevator. Tony, here it is. Here it is, right there. See the amulet. First the dog had it, and now Palmer's wearing it. See, right in the picture, see? Uh, I'm not a complainer. You know that. See, devil worshippers make pacts, contracts with the Prince of Darkness. What's the normal heartbeat? They achieve great wealth, power, high office, whatever. But they sell their souls to the devil. Now, how much could it cost? One of these days, someone's heart is just going to give out climbing those stairs. The, 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 the devil confers upon them... The the power to transform themselves. Please, Carl, let me finish, and then you can have your little chat. My own sister's husband dropped dead simply climbing to the attic. Of course, he was overweight. So I was going to ask you about something else. Before he leaves, uh, he's about to rush out, and he sees Ron while he's leaving, and he asks Ron if his nose is growing longer. Uh, that's a Pinocchio reference, I guess, but was what was Ron lying about? I didn't hear anything that Ron said that I would thought he was lying about. Yeah, or, I don't remember. I don't know. Maybe it was a line I missed something. So if, if I missed that, uh, Jeff, Jeff's the super fan here. He's probably heard it. So Jeff, just <laughs> shoot shoot me an email or text, and uh, and I'll I'll get that. But uh, but Jeff, but um, yeah, which which you know, speaking of that, uh. I was just going to say, Jeff, you have to give us a second-by-second breakdown, though, to, to in order for us to accept what you've given us. Second, but maybe even half-second by half-second. No, I'm, I'm just teasing. So we get the uh, the final payoff here. We get the, the last commercial break, and, and this is just... Uh, God, what a good scene here, man. What a good... Like, this was... There was tension throughout this for me. Um Whereas the UFO, you know, I always go back to UFO for some reason, <laughs> even though I don't think it's my lowest rated episode. The UFO, 
that end scene where it just sort of, I'm like, you know, he's over here playing with, you know, invisible people, whatever. But this one, you know, he he's sneaking around. Carl's like really being uh, that sneaky sort of reporter. Uh, and he's even, he's a little quieter than he was the vampire episode about to fall off the side of the guarding of the, of the mansion for whatever the heck he's doing. Um, but here he is, you know, sneaking, he sneaks in the window of Palmer's house and sneaks up the steps. And, uh, I think, I think Palmer's wife, Lorraine, she knows, uh, she's trying to get him to renege on his deal with the devil and, uh, or to go see a minister. But he said that he has no intentions to, and, uh, Kolchak sneaks into the wine cellar and he's sneaking down and he knocks a bottle off, of course, Carl being Carl and Palmer, Palmer comes down and, uh, grabs a bottle and Kolchak is literally feet from him. He goes and hides right around the corner and, uh, and he gets the bottle and leaves. So of course, Kolchak's going to look around some more and starts, uh, because, Oh, that was another thing that I thought was cool. Palmer takes the bottle. He's looking at the label and he blows it off and Kolchak, he's holding in a sneeze and then he waits till after he leaves and he sneezes right. after he leaves. Uh, just, just, just great touches by the writers here. Um, but yeah, is there anything else we need to talk about before we get to the big reveal? No, I don't think so. I mean, I mean, in, in that's, I mean, that's still the continuous scene where, um, Tom Skerritt's, uh, character then just says, you can come out now, Shack, right? Yeah. Cause Carl comes up on, he thinks he's found something like, Oh, he don't know I found this. And, finds the big uh and man you talk about something crazy though and something i didn't think you know when i saw this i thought how can they show this on tv man like this is even you know a few years before the you know satanic panic i'm like how can you show a freaking pentagram on tv man and this guy doing witchcraft and drinking out of chalice what is this really that that shocked you that much huh yeah it did well think about i mean yeah, I think yeah that yeah that didn't really shock me that much, but I mean think about um, the Exorcist and you know that I mean how what everything that happened in that and I can't remember the dates of here well here I'll actually look something Exorcist up. Exorcist was seventy four. Seventy four, so it was right around the same. Yeah, so the Exorcist came out before that, and on the, granted that's a movie, it's not television. I get that, but. Um, yeah, for whatever reason, that didn't um, leave an impression on me so much um, that I, yeah, I don't know if there really was that much of a ban on satanic-looking things like that, but it is it is a well-shot, well-acted, and, and surprisingly, if you are into Satanism, <laughs> maybe it's also an accurate way that they would act or perform in that. Because certainly there have been other things I've seen that do these similar types of rituals that that he did in this. But, you know, I, I think it's interesting to think about that his character had no intention of backing out of his deal with the devil. You know, he, he was only going to be successful because of his deal, and he fully bought into it. And that's kind of interesting. That's sort of a... You know, this is not a guy who just re- regrets what he's done and tries to get out. That's a whole nother story. Um, so that was pretty cool. But yeah, let's 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 get into his conversation with Carl when he tempts him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and b- even before that, one th- you know, he this is very direct too. He even invokes the name of Baphomet, which is like a big, uh, you know, one of the big names in uh, 
the church of Satan and stuff who's invoked and he drinks from the ta- chalice while kneeling. And he, he gets into this with Kolshak and he's like, you know, you're, you're a good reporter, Kolshak, not great. And, and I think this reminds me a lot too of, uh, and not the movie, but I guess the whole, the biblical passage itself of the last temptation of Christ, where you, you have the, the, uh, Satan coming to him and stuff at the temple Mount, uh, you know, and, and offering him everything he sees and, and and I'm I don't know if you know that's well, I'm not don't want to get in religious you know any religious beliefs here, but it's like Kolchak almost for a minute takes back and he's like man you know let me think this is I could be everything I've ever wanted to be in a reporter and I th- and it almost for a minute and I think that's Carl's or you know a Darren McGavin's just spot on acting. I know all about insatiable desire. Well. Your insatiable desire for a story has brought you to a sorry state, hasn't it? I know all about insatiable desire. I suffered with the problem myself for quite a time. And, uh, and now all, all of your desires are sated? One by one, they seem to have disappeared. Soon, they'll all be gone. A few years ago, I was offered a proposition I had the choice of a dull, undistinguished career because, to be quite frank, I was pretty much of a zero. Or the choice of the path that lies before me. Uh, which is what? Don't be a fool, Kolchak. You know I can go all the way to the top. Now I'm going to need powerful allies in the press. You're a good reporter. Not a great one. You have personality flaws that are going to keep total success from your grasp. But you are, nonetheless, a very good reporter. You would like, more than anything, to have the Pulitzer Prize. Though publicly you scorn the very concept of awards, you would like, more than anything else, to get to New York and work on a major daily paper. You would even like a suede back chair at your desk. Not leather, suede. Such small ambitions, really. Your editor is Anthony Vincenzo. He frustrates you terribly. You blame him for your problems, but you know that you yourself are responsible for most of them. Well, I... The way that he just, uh, he, he looks like he's actually considering it, you know, and he's thinking it and sort of reeling it through in his head, you know, um, before before actually saying that he that he don't want to do I, it. I read, I read that a little differently in that Carl, uh, yeah, only that I think I don't think he Did was ever you? tempted. Um, it's just my 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 impression of it. Um, I think Carl was fearing for his life, and he's hearing this guy saying this. Now, wouldn't it have been great too if Carl was recording this at the at the same time? If you would have seen him like press record on his little his uh, recorder, and I don't maybe he was. I don't remember that. But oh yeah. No, I I I always felt like um, Carl was just scared. And this guy was saying these things, and he felt like the guy was nuts, um, and Carl would never do it. But I'll have to watch it again and and see if I can see it under the way that you saw it, and see if there is sort of a hint of that. I just didn't see it myself. I'm not saying it wasn't there. I just didn't see it myself. No, and and I think that scene can really go either way. And uh, you know that's some of the great. I think that's some of the great the great things about like. Uh, 
Um, some 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 like scripts and stuff don't let their their content breathe. They don't let the acting itself breathe. And I think when you let the actors and you know sort of give those beats and and that this this the monologue and stuff where he's talking to Kolchak, talking about you know uh, you know basically he's going you know I, I need a good reporter on my side and he's given everything. It, it's got a lot of room here to expand and, and look, really give those facial expressions back and forth. Uh, that can really be interpreted either way, but uh, anyway, you know, moving on from that, Kolchak says that he might not agree to all of the terms, and uh, Palmer informs him that he needs a blood sacrifice, and sometimes he needs something a little bit bigger than uh, your standard cattle, and that's when he lunges at Kolchak, and he barely escapes and comes face to face with the rabid dog, and uh, oh, and something we didn't mention earlier, of course, is when he was leaving at the very end right on S., he stole the body of the uh, the body. He stole the bottle of holy water, which was just super important for this scene. Um, and and another genius part of writing here, instead of like hitting him directly with the holy water, Kolshak takes it. I, th- I, th- I thought he had missed. I thought Kolshak's done messed up, and he throws it and it hits the corner. And I thought, wow. So this is really the last Kolshak episode. Not, you know, I've been lied to this whole time because he's about to die. But no, and then he rips the necklace off and he takes it and he throws it in the corner and it just starts bubbling and wow, great. Yeah, scene. you great know, scene. I I'm not real sure about all that the the editing of what they did on that and maybe he did intend to throw it over there, but then the dog had to come to him and attack him for to him to pull the necklace off the dog and then throw it at that. And, um, I, I don't know how, how all that necessarily went down. Um, I felt like it, just backing up a little bit, uh, once again, to all the things that, uh, Scarrett's character said to Carl, I thought it was very interesting that he, he was able to say to him, you want to be a big city reporter. You want that Pulitzer, you know, he said all that kind of stuff that, I don't know why Scarrett's character wouldn't know that necessarily because it kind of sounded like his character really knew Carl and was tempting him. And it was a little bit like the show that we're dabbling into, which is the evil show um, that, you know, where the character um, is, is evil or not. But he seems to know things about the other actors and he can tempt them or tease them or taunt them because of that knowledge. So it almost seemed to me that Scarrett's character actually truly was, you know, I, I think the, the point is he was in league with the devil, but he did have some information on his side to try to tempt Carl. And I, I just thought that was pretty um, neat and, again, very very well written. And then, just like you are saying, very well acted, too. But, you know, being the dog lover that I am, <laughs> I thought it was kind of cool that the... You know the the dog doesn't die in this, and it, it you're you're led to believe then that um, the man dies, and I can't remember exactly what they say in the end of it, but doesn't doesn't Scarrett's character just disappear off the face of the planet? Oh yeah, they said that he just left. Apparently the the story was that he left his wife and ran away or something, and that she left too, and that the only thing left was the. Uh, the dog, really. Right, um, right, which we think is more than likely just a cover story for the fact that they 
um, had to go to hell or something like that because Carl was able to defeat them. Um, and then the poor, the poor pooch with the pretty looking yeah. face afterwards, you know, so who took that dog? That's what I want to know. Did he give him, did he give him the Tony? I think so. Carl did mention something about the wife having the dog as a companion, but I don't remember if she took him or not. And going back when he threw the bottle, the dog was already on top of him when he threw the, the bottle Correct. of holy water. So I guess Correct. he might've had something else planned. Yeah, because he knocked over a bookcase, I think, to, or one of the wine cases to try to, and then the dog was on him and threw it. But yeah, man, so, that, man, mm-hmm. good, great episode. I gave my copy on Palmer to Vincenzo for his editorial comment. It was the way he crumpled it up that gave me the distinct impression he wasn't going to print it. And Robert Palmer, white hope of the blue collar, darling of the demographics, the popular explanation is that he was kidnapped, possibly killed by radicals. A tragedy, people said. They don't realize, of course, that he did keep one campaign promise. The promise of his soul to his master, the Prince of Darkness. Lorraine Palmer drove off before I could get to her. Her car was found the next day, but she never was. Wherever she is, I hope she has a dog to keep her company. And fetch her slippers. And lick her hand. Yeah, man, you want to get an episode ratings, or you got anything else to say about it? No, no, I, I, I will give this one nine point five uh, dog walks with a demon dog whose name <laughs> is Cooper. Mm. I'll give this one. Uh, I'll give it nine point seven. Um, Deals at the crossroads out of ten. Nice. I love this episode. I really loved it, and the ending was amazing. Good stuff. Um, and IMDb actually has this at a seven point eight below both of us. Um, but uh, let's get into the segment we call monsters and myths meet science. I doubt that could happen, but. A team of scientists recently grew wheat from seeds that were found in the pyramids of Egypt. Those seeds were 4,000 years old. 4,000 years old? So, yeah, so there, there, we could go many ways on the uh, monsters, myths, and science and, and all this. Uh, of course, you know, there's a lot of different, uh, you know, the Faustian. Uh, do, you, do you have any information on Faust and the first... Uh, you know, that instance of, I guess, selling your soul to the devil. <laughs> much much like that. you said to me, the only information that that uh, you had ever heard about Kolshak was what I imparted on the Twilight Zone podcast. The only information I have about Faust was what I told you at the beginning of our recording of all this. Was that, uh, no, I just know that there was a story about Faust oh. who ma- made a deal with the devil. And, and that story goes back quite a bit. Um, did you have any more about that, Bradley? Yeah, I think it was a, a German folklore tale from the 1500s. Uh, and supposedly, you know, Faust is this highly successful, uh, you know, person, but he's dissatisfied with his life. So he has a he has a, a pact to the devil, meets him at the crossroads as well, which is sort of a running theme here. Uh, you know, and he exchanges his soul for unlimited knowledge and world pleasures. Uh, and it's sort of led to a lot of, like, it's sort of the Faustian. I think it was also, if you look at some of the early films, uh, a lot of a lot of the early, I think there was one of the early films that was based on Faust and the whole demonic thing, one of the very first ever horror films, you know. Um, 
but one one thing that probably people are more familiar with is Robert Johnson, the man from uh, the Mississippi Delta Blues player who, uh, you know, he traveled around and he wasn't good enough to play at the clubs. He decided to leave for a year. Nobody saw him. And then he comes back and he just is able to play like nobody knows. You know, nobody knows how he can play so good. He would turn his back to the audience so people couldn't steal his licks. Eventually he goes to Chicago, uh, records some, you know, ironically Chicago, uh, records some, you know, music, uh, on a, on 72, uh, well, what are the 78 records, you know, uh, and there's not a lot of music of his out there, but he records it. And I think there's only two photos of there, of him out there. And, uh, you know, he records this music and he eventually ends up dying at the age of 27 under mysterious circumstances. I think he's at a bar. Supposedly he was hitting on, uh, you know, this white man's wife or something, and uh, they poisoned his drink or something along those lines, what people believe happened. And that night he goes outside and he's on all fours barking like a dog howling at the moon. And uh, he dies there at the age of 27. Um, and, of course, there's been perpetrated myths that John Lennon sold his soul to the devil, which if you – now that is a rabbit hole down a rabbit hole down a rabbit hole where you can get into even the minutia of some of the songs in the White Album – uh, predicting his death with some of the background music. It, it, oh man, we 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 could go a lot of stuff on the, on the White Album and John Lennon and dates that just are so freaky that they line up. But that's like an hour or two hour long podcast in itself. And I'm sure you could find Jim, you know, Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, all these people who they say Amy Winehouse, anybody in the 27 Club, anybody who dies young or youngish, um, you know, selling their soul to the devil. But it's 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 usually if there's anything we can boil it down to, they usually meet them at the crossroads, uh, usually in the dead of night, uh, you know, three o'clock's the witching hour, supposedly, uh, because the three knocks are the three knocks against the Holy Spirit. You know, the, they're trying to mock the, the three branches, the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and stuff like that. But, you know, stuff like that. Um, is there anything you have to add to that that I didn't say? No, I, um, I was just going to go back to, uh, I, I read a little bit more about Faust and then jogged my memory on it. And, um, there is actually, oh my gosh, I can't remember the name of the, the author now. Uh, I really need to remember his name. So I may have to, have to look that up and, and say it, but, um, there is a, um, uh, a book that is a sort of a takeoff of the Faustian tale and it's called bring me the head of Prince Charming. And it's actually a comedy um, book, but they use the story of Faust, which in, in looking back at it, I think what it is is God and Satan are debating on whether or not they can save a man or corrupt him. And that's how they end up approaching Faust. Um, so it isn't, it isn't so much that Faust um, seeks out the devil to make his change, but it is that he is found by them and then is put into this contest, so to speak, between the two of them. Um, and, and much of that happens with bring me the head of Prince Charming. Um, I can't for the life of me remember the name of the author who wrote that, but I've read that book a number of times. No, I, I think these, um, deals with the devil, um, stories, you know, are interesting. And, um, I, I think what may be more interesting and, and possibly, uh, opening up a can of worms, but I'm wondering, um, Bradley, do you think that people can make deals with actual deals with the devil and that they will benefit from those deals. Do you think that is an actual thing that, that can happen? As far as the benefiting from the deals and stuff, 
I definitely know of, I know people who have committed their life to serving the devil. Um, but can someone sell their soul to the devil? I would tend to say yes. I tend to say yes. I think so. So, so in that case, then you, you think that the devil exists for them to be able to sell their soul to him. And then they would benefit from that because of whatever that contract is. Yeah, but it reminds me. Have you seen the Twilight episode? Episode, uh, the Twilight Zone episode where uh, the man sells his soul to the devil. Is it the one where he can't die or something like that, and he gets thrown in prison in the end? Yes, I believe that's it. Like he, he says, "Oh, you know." Yeah, I, yeah, I love that one. Yeah, which not to give that. Well, actually, sort of did just give that away. He's like, that's okay. He's like, the only way this ter- this contract will be terminated is if you ask to die. But and then he he's like oh I won't ever ask that and he accidentally kills his wife and of course he ends up in jail for life ironically enough because he wants to get the death sentence but they don't give it to him um, but yeah yeah um, we could go on and on about this and uh, oh you know shape shifting dogs and and stuff like that but you know to avoid going down that rabbit hole uh, do you want to move mm-hmm. on in move on to the movie picks of the week. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. I just wanted to say we've we've got the little bit on um, the environment and establishment, and we haven't necessarily done much with that a lot of times. But the only thing I would say about that <clears throat> is that you know certainly at this time in the 70s there was a great amount of distrust towards the government and and politicians um, specifically who were supposed to be civil servants, and you know they didn't. You know, I, I'm not saying that there was, you know, evidence of them selling their souls, but they they simply did not serve the public interest in many cases, and there were scandals, and they lied and cheated, and and of course there were just all those types of things that you know caused a lot of the the unrest and the the protesting that we had from the 60s up into the 70s, and of course Watergate being the main scandal uh, that that happened um, right around the time just after just after the airing of the first Night Stalker movie, according to Mark DeWidziak. So that, that's basically it. Um, I think that's important. But no, let's, let's get into some movie picks. The movie of the week. And the movie pick of the week... Um, a couple of my honorable, honorable mentions, of course, you mentioned it earlier, Evil. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, and, and this was movies, I tried to go for movies basically where people did sell their souls for, to the devil, but these three are sort of tangentially related, which Evil, uh, evil, of course, is pretty is pretty blatant uh, with some of the characters there. I definitely recommend everybody check out Evil if you haven't. Uh, of course, The Shining, uh, it, it sort of has the the same feel, but it wasn't as direct because there is a scene wherever, it, and if you get into the whole Kubrick, you know, lore and stuff, there's a scene wherever Jack Torrance is sitting at the bar and he said, I would I would sell my soul for a, dr- for a drink right now. And then that's where the movie sort of goes off the rails. And the whole thought process is that from that point forward, he's possessed by, by the, de- you know, he's doing the devil's bidding. Uh, which is just just really a throwaway line if you're not paying attention for it. Um, and then the other uh, is the Phantom of the Opera, the uh, the the newer movie, which is uh, it sort of relates to the Faust legend. It pulled a lot from that. Uh, you know, there's things of course like I think the picture of Dorian Gray that you could say, 
pulls aspects which you it gives you these like tidbits that aren't necessarily tied directly to the actual set. They don't give you the scene of the selling of the you know of the soul, but it's uh, it's sort of also like the monkey the monkey's paw. The you you get something in return, or even going back to the gin of you know the Middle East, you get a wish or you get something granted to you, but it comes with consequences a lot of times. Um, you know, uh, just things that you can't undo. But now moving on to our top picks of the week, we talked about Robert Johnson. The first pick. <laughs> is Crossroads, uh, which has a rating on Rotten Tomatoes, the 86 movie, uh, which has a rating on Rotten Tomatoes of a 75. And that's based on the Robert Johnson, uh, you know, the mythos. It has uh, it has uh, Steve Vai in it and some other guitars. And it's real, f- I enjoyed it. What did you think about the movie, Robert? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's essentially the karate kid, you know, goes on a journey not to become a great karate master, but... Um, become a great uh, blues guitarist and he you know partners up with uh, people along the way who are wiser and more experienced than he is he has he experiences heartbreak uh, from the woman that he loved and she leaves him and of course then he's able to truly learn how to play the blues and you know and there is um i would imagine that um uh, Charlie Daniels, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the devil went down the Georgia song had already been put out um, at this point. I'm pretty sure that was more of a, a 70s and, you know, the crossroads, the 80s. And, um, I, you know, the, the, the oh, battle man. that goes on between um, Machio's character and Steve I with their guitar playing um, reminded me a lot of the Charlie Daniels song. And uh, so th- th- I, I enjoyed the movie. It was a little cheesy. Um, for me, um, seeing it when I did, um, but still thinking back on it, the the overall story and what's done in it, I think is all pretty oh, cool. Yeah. Um, I that is actually one, believe it or not, I could I could stand to see remade, and um, and just see that done in more of a kind of a almost more of a darker, um, more serious tone to it all um, than just what they portrayed with uh, Ralph Macchio's character. But I still think it was a good movie. You know, I think there actually is a movie, like a 2002 movie called Crossroads, but it's like a, a, a cross-country trip movie, you know, because you sort of get those names that are sort of like, oh, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, then the next one, number four, is sort of a twofer. Uh, there's a movie called Bedazzled. There's a, it was a comedy uh, soul-selling movie uh, of sorts. There was a 67 version that was a 78% on Rotten Tomatoes. But there's also a 2000 uh, version that I remember that has a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, but it had a... Had what's his name? Had Brendan Fraser in it, and also had Elizabeth Hurley, and it was uh, it's it was funny. You know, there's a lot of one-liners, a lot of good jokes in there, um, but but you know, it's got a little bit of that, and I think a lot of those uh, 2000s comedies sort of can get sort of stale, and it's sort of you know maybe it's just the way that they were written or something. Um, but Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny is my speaking of comedies is my next pick. Uh, which is a two thousand? What? What does that laugh for? Like, what? No, I, I love that you. I love that you did it. I, I love the pick of destiny. Um, it, it's a it's a bizarre it's a bizarre film. I love the the album from it. I mean, I, I listen to it. Oh my gosh, at least once every month or something like that. And I listen to a lot of the songs that are on there. So I I, I love it. But you know, it's one of those movies. It's got a fifty two percent on Rotten Tomatoes. 
for whatever reason. And uh, mostly, but it's if you like Jack Black, this is a fun movie, you know. And and I I, I, compl- I, I, I love Jack Black. Adore Jack Black. I love everything he's in. I'll go if if Jack Black's in a movie, I will watch it, hands down. Um, but of course, uh, my number two, we've mentioned Robert Johnson, uh, and he is in the number two movie, or he is referenced in the number two movie, and one of my favorite movies of all time, of course, being from the South. Oh, brother, where art thou? The two thousand movie, uh, which one of the characters is based? What's it, I forget what the character's name was, but his last name was Johnson. But they pick him up on the side of the road, and they said, where, where have you been? He said, I just sold my soul to the devil. And they they, they carry him around. But that has a 78% on Rotten Tomatoes, the Coen Brothers movie. A super fun movie I always loved. And the number one, uh, I'm going a little bit different this time. The number one movie for me is actually sort of three, and uh, they are actually released this year. Uh, the Fear Street series from 1994, it was called, uh, I think it was Fear Street 1994, Fear Street 1978, and Fear Street 1666, um, which if you haven't seen those, uh, they are really like teen horror with a lot of gore mixed in, but the the whole premise is that this city is cursed because uh, this, this girl, this witch in the 1600s sold her soul to the devil, and there's a good twist on that. Uh, it's got an 82% on Rotten Tomatoes, the first one. So the first one has an 82%. The last, part three, has a 90%. And then part two has an 88%. So they're all pretty fresh. And they're super fun. Like, just, they've got a lot of gore. The first one has a lot of gore in it, you know, if you like that kind of stuff. But it's not too over-gratuitous, if that makes sense. Uh, it's it's fun. Like, if you like slasher whores, like if, like the first movie sort of like a 90s sort of scream type uh, a horror movie the second one's like I think it's even shot at the same location as the the uh, Friday the 13th series and then the last one's like a a sort of drama that ties them all together and it you know it takes place reminds me sort of sort of has a stranger things vibe to it, it takes place in like a a very neon type mall in the 90s uh, parts of it does Super fun, though, a really fun story throughout. And if you have six hours to sit down and just dedicate to this over a course, i definitely recommend it because it – and it just came out this year, 2021. So fun watch. But, uh, yeah, that's it. Have you seen that, Robert? No, I might check that one out. Yeah, as, as you were describing it and I was reading the IMDb, it did sound a little um, Nightmare on Elm Street-esque um, to me with the um, just the, the evil that has – lasted for so long and then a group of teens encounter it you know what do they do with it and um yeah it sounds sounds like a good one to watch yeah and there's a really good twist at the end i'll just say that uh, and it's written by uh the original books were written by rl stein who wrote goosebumps so there you go do we have anything else this week though robert no we're gonna um we're gonna surprise everybody with a um a guest host who's going to join us and uh, he's someone we have referenced before and uh, actually Jeff Coburn has agreed to come on with us and talk about our next episode which is going to be what Bradley I know what it's called but I'm just curious if you remember what the next episode is called if you don't I'll tell you you don't know it's bad medicine yes yeah you're right bad medicine and so Jeff Jeff's going to join us for that one 
and um, we'll, we're looking forward to doing that. I think the most, um, uh, the scariest thing is how much Jeff is actually sort of a combination of me and Bradley combined and with his uh, background and, and all the way to doing some English teaching and being a musician and uh, all these types of things. So it's, it's going to be a fun talk. I think we'll really um, hit it off with the, the three of us um, talking about that particular episode. So we'll be coming back with that. And, and you may have noticed that we're doing these a little bit out of sequence with our MeTV. Um, that is because of me. Robert uh, causing some issues with uh, my my recording capabilities, but we're trying to get caught back up again, and we're going to do that with uh, Bad Medicine, which I guess I guess was just on Saturday night, and uh, saw people talking about that. So uh, that'll be fun thing. Anything else, Bradley, from you? No, and I think also that was partly on me because I went to Podcast Movement to hone my craft, I guess you could say, yeah. and. Uh, uh, you know, we just couldn't get a we couldn't get a day together. But I think now we should catch up. And we've got also, if this works out, we want to eventually do a a Cole Shack cosplay episode with Jeff eventually down the line. And um, we're still working on a Halloween episode. Uh, I've already got some verbal commitments there that said they'd pop in, including the Astonishing Legends guys and uh, Rich Haddam. Uh, now if we can just get Rodney, if we can get Mark, if we can get James, that'd be, that'd be, you can't tell me a Cole Shack Christmas party. That wouldn't be perfect. Or a Halloween party, uh, rather. I, I'm going to have to keep wrapping my head around that one. I, I'm trying. I, I, I watched the Astonishing Legends one, or at least I listened to it. Is there a video of that? It's, or is it all just podcast when the Astonishing Legends people do their, their Christmas party? It was all just podcast. Um. But they added like all those little cues in later. I thought it was pretty okay. cool idea. Okay. We'd have to have a costume mm-hmm. contest. Who are you gonna come? Mm-hmm. Who are you gonna come as okay. if we have a costume contest? <laughs> I don't dress up in costumes, man. <laughs> this this well. is why I love that you and Jeff want to do the the cosplay. Or as he was, as we were talking about doing this episode, he kept calling it Cole's play. And I'm like, yes. I, I think I know what you're talking about. Are you are you saying that it's you know, Kolchak and Kolchak and, and cosplay. And yeah, we just combined it. And, and then he realizes I haven't really been in on these conversations. And I'm like, yeah, man, I kind of know what you're talking about. And he's like, and he's like, Robert, you're not in the loop, are you? So it was awesome. It was really funny to, to go through that discussion with him. No. And he has been a trooper on that. Like he's made, he's already has a full document ready for the episode and everything. Like I not I, I haven't filled you in on that because that was sort of a, this is sort of, I, it all happened like the week, the week, like you have to bring your boy well, no, in on it these It happened things. the weekend. Like it was the day before I was leaving for podcast movement. He started sending me all this stuff and I was like, Hey, I'll get back to you on that. And then I got so busy packing and stuff. I haven't, right. uh, and I still need to get back to some other people too, but we'll, we'll talk about that off, off air maybe. But if there's nothing else, um, <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah, that's if there's all nothing is. else, for all things Cole Shack, you can find us right here inside the loop. Oh, you know what? You know what that reminds me of, though the the next episode we're covering. What's that? You know this one? Yeah. <laughs>